Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast. We're currently hosting a leadership and management podcast series featuring CDE of the Year recipients and today's podcast is one of our series. My name's Jan and I'll be your host today. I'd first of all like to introduce Mark Shah, who was a recipient of the 2021 Jan Baldwin National CDE of the Year Award. He's also the Western Australian CDE of the Year for 2021. This award is given to leading CDEs to acknowledge their extraordinary contributions in the community of people with diabetes and diabetes education. Mark has worked as a registered nurse for the past 23 years and as a CDE for 18 years. His nursing career started at Royal Perth Hospital, where he cared for many people living with the complications of diabetes. After some years working as a dialysis nurse, an opportunity opened up within diabetes where Mark was mentored and encouraged to do further studies. He became a CDE in 2003 and quickly learned about the optimism of technology, new treatments and the everyday struggles of living with diabetes. Ever keen to learn more, Mark enrolled in the, enrolled in the nurse practitioner program and became an endorsed nurse practitioner in 2006. The following year, he moved to Princess Margaret Hospital to start the work he continues today, working as a nurse practitioner and CDE. He now cares for children with all diabetes types, particularly young onset type two diabetes, where he is also collaborating on several research studies. Hello, Mark, it's lovely to catch up with you again today. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Thank you for, for your, uh, being here and uh, I just wanted to perhaps start and ask you what made you want to pursue a career in diabetes education? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I had never really, when I first started nursing, ever thought of becoming a diabetes educator uh, until I started working in a particular area um, of nursing, as you mentioned now, in the renal dialysis unit the renal unit and uh you know i saw i was experienced uh, uh, many many people young young adults and older people with um complications of diabetes nursing was never my first career and uh <clears throat> i came off it from the back of being a tradesman and cabinet maker for quite a few years um, but i also realized that um you know there was more to life and and things like that and uh you know, I, I wanted to go to uni and, and study and the nursing sort of, I took that road. And But as I mentioned, once I became a nurse, um, there, you know, there's um, there's a lot to learn. You, you probably can relate to this, many other nurses can, that um, what you go through in, in university, you, um, and when you start in the real world, if you like, you realise that um, there's a lot you don't know. And, um, and so there's a lot to learn on the job, so to speak. And I, um, I quickly kind of realised that, um, not very quickly, but um, that in, I needed to specialise in something. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't last and um, I may, you know, go off and do something else. And uh, so I realised that perhaps that was the, the path I needed to take. You know, I live with type 1 diabetes and, um, and uh, that gave me some insight in many ways. And, uh, you know, we're working with... Uh, people with complications, severe complications, kidney complications, you know, they're terrible and uh, they people live a very, very difficult life in that in that situation. 
And I thought perhaps naively that um, maybe uh, I could do something about that, you know, maybe I could contribute to education or something or other, uh, share my wisdom, if you like. And um, and so that's what sort of got me into that area. And, uh, and it helps me. I don't necessarily share that I have type 1 diabetes when I see people, but sometimes it comes out. Um, but you can often relate to people on another level and uh, just by having an intuition about what they might be going through uh, in a daily, on a daily basis. Thank you so much for that, Mark. I was wondering if you could tell us what uh, your most impactful memory, I suppose, or association with diabetes that you have. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you, you know, living, living with type 1 diabetes itself, you know, um, that's probably my most impactful memory. Um, when I was diagnosed at the age of 20, and uh, it doesn't really affect my professional life, but um, it's certainly my most impactful memory. And, uh, and then probably second to that was um, after having diabetes for, you know, a few years, um, I was on two needles a day, just sort of walking through life pretty you know, pretty calmly and, you know, without a care in the world in many ways. And uh, then, I, lo and behold, I, my glucose levels were quite high and without really becoming aware of it, I suppose. Back then, it wasn't uh, CGM and I didn't really do, do many, uh, didn't do much glucose testing at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, and my endocrinologist said, you need to switch over from having two needles to four needles a day. That was that was a big thing for me and uh, that was a, probably quite a, a good memory that I had, not, not a good memory, but a impactful memory, if you like. Yes, I can understand. It's quite a familiar response that uh, you hear from people over time. Um, so thank you for your insight there. And I was wondering, what was your biggest professional hurdle or obstacle, and I guess, and how did you really overcome that? Yeah, well, um, after a while, you know, um, I had some really good people that I worked with um, in my early years and uh, at Royal Perth Hospital and great hospital actually and um, they you know, encouraged me to, to to study more and uh, but um, and when I became well when I thought about becoming uh, a nurse practitioner very soon after the legislation changed in WA and um, in 2004 I think it was um, the legislation was changed and um, that's that's the biggest hurdle um, for me, and even to this day, um, being a nurse practitioner, becoming a nurse practitioner is still quite um, uh, challenging. And even though the, uh, the study was um, difficult uh, at the time, uh, you know, as it should be, it, becoming a nurse practitioner is not uh, easy uh, in Australia because the role is still quite um, not new, but um, not well recognised necessarily, as opposed to uh, US particularly, uh, where it's quite common and mainstream. So, um, and the other thing is, um, because of that, uh, I guess the other reason why it's a hurdle is that we're very much still in the medical model in Australia in many ways, um, as opposed to other countries. Um, and so um, that's, a, that, that, that's, a, that's one of the challenges of being a nurse practitioner is, is, is navigating that, uh, that uh, role in, in a, in a a model that's not set up for it always and so you're kind of always having to sort of justify things in many ways the, the mp role is marvelous it's really wonderful for for both nurses to do but also for obviously for families patients when I mean, i'm a pediatric you know nurse at the moment and uh, certainly um we talk about families all the time 
um, so proving access to care and as opposed and expanding the traditional roles of nursing is a, a big part of it. But it requires persistence, and and that's one of the hurdles to overcome. Um, the resistance and uh, that's really really difficult at times. Now, the, on the other side of things, um, the uh, things are improving, I, I think, and things for the for nurses to, you know, I guess this this podcast is is talking about leadership and those things. Well, you know, we've in the pandemic at the moment. Um, you know, nurses have, uh, and, med- and the medical profession for that matter, health has really become elevated and consumers really know what people do more. And um, and I think people are more informed and they're probably more informed about what nurses do. And so it's a great opportunity for nurses to really think about extending themselves and, uh, and you know, doing further study and expanding their practice, which very a lot of capable people are. And that's what I'm trying to do now is really encourage other people Thanks for that, Mark. I mean, I'm interested to hear you uh, talk about that it's still being very run very much as a medical model. It seems to be a long time that we're not making a lot of inroads, isn't it? But anyway. Yeah. I think it's... that, uh, yeah, I just got on that <laughs> a bit more, you know. It, mm. um, it's not all, it's not the same uh, right through, you know. There, there are areas where, you know, it's not that way at all. And uh, but um, it's not uniformly like that, and uh, I think in some areas it's harder than others. Okay, well, I guess it's nice to hear the pandemics have some sort of positive effect. Uh, so, <laughs> just leading on from that, I guess, have, have you encountered naysayers while working on a program or project? And if so, how do you keep motivated when, when that occurs? Yeah, that's a good question again. Um, you know, uh, I work in an area where looking after children with type two diabetes, and uh, which you know, you you know, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, even ten years ago, yeah, it was sort of um, very uncommon, and uh, we we're getting more and more children diagnosed. And we recently, um, one of the things that we decided to do recently was think about um, using continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, in a research setting and, uh, you know, because these things aren't accessed by children with type 2 diabetes and um, they're made quite mainstream now in, in uh, children and adults even with type 1 diabetes. And so we decided to do this very small research product project and uh, there were quite a few people that were a bit sceptical as to, well, you know, why, why would you need to use those for people with type 2 diabetes, you know? Uh, and uh, but having knowing the the condition very well and knowing um, what these children have to go through and and perhaps the benefit of this type of um, device and uh, being able to see glucose profiles, um, I we had a good idea that it might be useful and um, and uh, I can't give you too much information about it because the study is yet to be published. But um, we finished it now and that, and the, there were some very positive outcomes. So. You know, even though even though people were a bit sceptical, there weren't that many people, but there was a few. Um, I managed to keep motivated by um, by understanding that that um, that the, this type of technology can be used for many people, uh, and uh, regardless of their treatment, um, and but for different reasons. And so um, that's you know uh, that's one of the reasons why I think that. Um, you know, you when you do do a project that perhaps uh, 
people are a bit skeptical about, then if you know your subject really well, I think then you should go with it. Thanks for that, Mark. Um, as as we've been commenting throughout, I think the the diabetes care and management's changed so much over the last few decades. And I'm just wondering, in your experience, what's made the biggest impact in the quality of life of people living with diabetes? Yeah, <laughs> well, things have changed, hasn't it? Um, very much um, recently, I, I guess. Um, um, it's a different world, really, now when uh, compared to even just ten years ago, uh, with with the with the change in um, technology, and um, you know, I think. You know, there's obviously medical changes that have, medications have changed for type 2 diabetes and technologies. You know, what I heard, I was listening to some um, professor a couple of years ago, and I think what's happening now is that, you know, type 2 diabetes is being advanced more with medication and type, two, type 1 diabetes has been advanced more with technology. And uh, that sort of divide is happening. And, uh, and I think, um, but overall, I think, Probably the biggest impact for people in diabetes care, I think, is probably insulin pump management um, or care with insulin pumps um, and followed closely by CGM. But you could probably put CGM in front of pumps. I'm not 100% sure. But <laughs> the only thing that I thought of was that, um, you know, the reason why I sort of think insulin pumps is probably the greatest uh, development, um, if you like, is that um, they're, they're changing as, as, as we go, you know. Um, they're developing and probably with the, the use of CGM. Um, but also CGM can be um, quite burdensome for some people uh, which too, with too much information. So I think there's a balance there. And, um, you know, uh, for years and years, we, we dreamed of having the, the glucose level on the wrist and a watch or something like that. And, and you know, now we have on the phone, on the pump, on the wrist, um, and shared amongst people, you know, families, um, and uh, which is great and reassuring to have alarms when your glucose is going low or too high. But that those alarms and that burden of, of continuous information can be quite burdensome for some people, too much. And so um, I think that, so, so from, that, from that, I think CGM may be second behind pumps. And uh, in, on, on that note, you know, I think that... Um, you know, sometimes the mental health side of things uh, has changed a bit too. And um, people now, are, there's obviously a lot more anxiety in the community. Um, well, at least we know about anyway. It was probably hidden before. Um, now it's more out in the open. And um, But I think uh, in diabetes care, when people didn't really know what was going on necessarily about their diabetes or we didn't have that much information, um, they weren't. They weren't so worried about it. But now, of course, there's more information with, with information from the CGM. Um, they get worried more. And so that, uh, mental health care is a big thing. Um, so that's one of the other developments, I guess you would say. And uh, I guess one of the reasons why I think pumps are probably, um, you know, up there in terms of uh, advancement, if you like, was there, you know, it's actually enabled people to be self-managers, you know, and to me, being a diabetes, first and foremost, a diabetes educator, um, self-management is it's what it's all about, isn't it, really? And yes. uh, I think insulin pumps have, have changed the way, led the way. You know, years ago, it was um, you did what your endocrinologist said and they were the person who directed uh, what was going on and um, it wasn't too much, you know, 
adjustment of insulin necessarily. Um, you did that, you know, after your doctor had sort of said that. And uh, whereas when you've got insulin pump, of course, you're in control. And yeah. uh, that's really, I think that's probably why I think that uh, insulin pumps are probably the greatest change. The other reason why I think pumps are, uh, you know, probably uh, up there is that, um, you know, it's led to diabetes educated positions becoming more valued, you know, uh, because they're, they, they're the ones that possess, possess all the skills really about um, helping people with insulin pumps. And other people don't have that. Other professions don't have that. So that's good. Thanks for that, Mark. I, I found your comments interesting around uh, the blood sugar levels being available to all and sundry and the stress that puts on people. be interesting to, to see if how broad, widespread that might be. I was wondering yeah. what advice you'd give to someone new in their career or looking to pursue a role in leadership or management or starting a new program or beginning their own practice. What, what advice would you have for those sort of situations? Yeah, I think, well, you know, if someone's, um, you know, wanting to to move to a different part of the career or, you know, wanting to go um, to a leadership role or or even, um, you know, starting private practice, those sort of things, um, if someone's made a decision to do that, then um, to me um, they're, they've obviously got there for a reason and um, and they're probably, you know, reasonably confident um, of of what they're doing, you know, or, you know, maybe they're not, but... Um, they, they probably know what they're doing. And I think, um, first of all, probably back yourself and uh, trust your skills and uh, knowledge and expertise. So you, you got to the point because of your level of expertise and knowledge. And so that's probably the first thing. And then um, I think, uh, you know, you, you need to rely on other people, of course, as well, you know, um, and and you want to rely on people that you trust, of course, and uh or other networks. So, you know, get as much information as you can, um, get good feedback from people and get good advice and, you know, weigh up quality of that advice. Um, and, yeah, so um, one or two, you won't get a good, good advice from people and and and, and uh, use that. Um, and, and the other thing too I think is really important is that when you go into a new role perhaps, whether it's a, perhaps a management or a leadership role, you might not... Um, have any experience in that obviously and so you you've got to get experience somehow and um and so it's important then to um enroll into perhaps uh, some training programs or specific programs where you've identified you have some uh, gaps in your knowledge um we all will have to learn some way and uh, and so one of the things about i guess when you when you do go for um uh, a new position uh, often it's given to people with experience in the position. But, of course, you know, you can't actually do a position without getting experience in the first place. So you've got to start somewhere. And so I think you've really got to. Um... Thanks for that, Mark. Uh, just along the same vein, I guess, what do you think are the characteristics you believe uh, every leader should possess? And are there any characteristics that you feel are detrimental for a, for a leader in that situation? Yeah, um, that's a difficult question, that one, uh, isn't it, really? Um, I, I'm not 100% sure about this one. Um, you know, I guess you, you, you probably get, probably get ask 20 different people, you probably get 20 different answers. But um, <laughs> um, but I think being a leader, um, first of all, um, not every leader is liked by everybody. Um, and so you don't have to be everybody's best friend. Um, and that's not necessarily the most important thing. Um, it can be useful different times, but 
it's not probably the probably the, it's probably not necessarily the, the best thing but you you probably have to be trusted i think and uh, without i think um trust is the most important thing um and without that um you you, you can't do your job really um and you um and going with that you've got to be genuine so you don't develop trust but unless you're genuine and so people will um, know if you're genuine because you, you do the things you're going to say you do. And um, uh, and the other thing too is I, found, I find, uh, this is what I like to do anyway, is to build up other people, you know, um, share your knowledge. People really value that. If you if you just try and hold it together and be the sort of leader without bringing people along with you, then um, you're not a leader really at all. So you really got to, um, you've got to acknowledge your own weaknesses um, and acknowledge the skills of other people and build them up and rely on other people. It, what, what things are detrimental to a leader? Uh, I think if you, um, if you don't lead by example, uh, it's really, that can be really, uh, I guess, fatal <laughs> um, and not doing what you say you're going to do. So I think that's really important. If you do, you know, that, that, that'll really help you along the way if you, if you do those sort of things. Thank you for that. And finally, if you won the lottery tomorrow, what would your, how would your professional life change? Oh, I don't know. Maybe work a bit less. I don't know. Um, I'll probably, um, I'm not sure it'll change all that matter. I guess it depends how much I win. But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, I think I'd, I'd still work and I'd maybe, maybe take some um, more time for myself, maybe, in the family. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a, teenage boy and a, and a 20 year old girl and, uh, so you know it'd be nice to spend more time with them but um they probably don't want my time anymore do they um, <laughs> um yeah so um yeah that's probably you know maybe i'll work maybe i'll try my hand at doing some private work maybe you know um i, I had dreamed about doing that uh, over the years but i never sort of made the leap and um so maybe that's something i would do maybe maybe it was giving, giving me the opportunity to do don't forget to buy a lottery ticket in. <laughs> um, thank you very much for, for your time today, Mark. But just before we go, and there are all the questions I have for you, but before we finish this conversation, do you have any take-home messages for our listeners today? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I've jotted down a couple of things and uh, I think... Um, you know, one of the things uh, I think about is often, and, and you can probably relate to this too, you know, we talked about diabetes evolving over the years, um, you know, led by advancements in technology and, and um, you know, led by research into different medications and things. But, uh, and even the advancements in understanding of uh, mental health and psychological impacts of diabetes um, things. But um, there are still many things we don't know. And uh, so I think that's uh, that's probably an important thing to think about as well. And uh, the other thing, I, one of the other things I think that um, is the and diabetes, um, the NDSS and Diabetes Australia have have, have done some really lot, good lot of work in this area of the use of language and how we relate to people with diabetes. Um, and uh, that that's important. Um, and uh, regardless of their age, you know, the very important aspects of the care we provide. And so communication is the, the number one thing that we do when we teach people or care for people 
And I think um, it, uh, language is very important. And, you know, I think we should care for people equally. You know, it goes without saying, really, uh, and on the basis of mutual respect. And, uh, um, and if you do that every day, you go home um, having had a good day. So that's probably my, my last sort of message, you know. Uh, if you treat people that way, then you, you yourself have a good day. Thank you for those pearls of wisdom. And thank you once again for your time today. Um, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, I'm sure this podcast has inspired our members to to make those decisions in their careers. So thank you. And thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain your CDE credit for it, please log into the ADA Learning Management System at learning.com.au. And until next time, goodbye.